Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our August 13th, 2009 edition of the show. It's about 5.08 p.m. on the clock here in sunny Irvine, California. Before we get into things, got a couple of quick reminders. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on MySpace. That's myspace.com slash out the rabbit hole. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash rglarson. Every so often we hear in the news about somebody who has died by suicide or in a small plane crash or by some other means. And then later we find out that this person had inside information that compromised or in some other way threatened the politically powerful. Now, when, that's, when this happens in, I don't know, say Mexico or Russia or Nigeria, we say the hell that person committed suicide or died in an accident. He or she was knocked off. However, when it happens in the U.S., there is a tendency, especially by the mainstream media, to accept the death at face value. The stories are often barely reported at all, let alone with a look at connecting any dots. It's like, come on, we're America. We're number one. We don't assassinate those who threaten the establishment. We don't have a Bush crime family or other gangsters masquerading as proper statesmen. No, we're not like that. Hmm, if that's how you think, you may be getting high on coincidence theory. You know, it's all just coincidence. Nothing more, nothing more. I'll just turn and look the other way. Well, we're going to try to cure you of that today because ignorance is bliss only until you wake up. And you have to wake up sooner or later. To help us take a look at the rather long list of those whose recent deaths have been oh so convenient for the Bush crime family is our special guest, Robert Sterling. And uh, let me pull up his awesome bio here to let you know about him. Uh, <laughs> Robert Sterling is the editor of The Conformist, the Internet Underground magazine dedicated to Rebellion, Conspiracy, and Subversion. Since its debut in 1996, it has, it has become a leading source for conspiracy theory information, the place where conspiracies transform from underground rumor to mainstream news. But as the website Disinformation noted in its biography of Sterling, in the twilight world of conspiracy theory, Robert Sterling is one of the few researchers able to temper his, his moral outrage with the bracing sting of humor. No less an authority, as satirist Paul Krasner declared, one of the main reasons I ceased publication of The Realist after 40 years is because The Conformist is carrying on its tradition in cyberspace. Uh, to both explore the darkest and deepest of conspiracies and uh, still keep a sense of humor is a difficult task, but is one Robert Sterling has done well. 
the conformist received a project censored award in 2001 for excellence in suppressed journalism robert sterling has also uh, was also named one of the 10 great <laughs> princes of paranoia by conspire.com uh, awarding the um, leading writers and reporters of conspiracy theory and uh, was uh, rewarded by world charts uh, voters as one of the top 25 uh, home pages in the world. On January 1st, 2000, Robert Sterling was one of the guests on a Fox News TV special on conspiracy theory. They're out to get you. By all accounts, he stole the show with his combination of knowledge, humor, and charm. He did the same as a speaker at the uh, February 2000 disinfo.com in New York, where he brought the crowd to a rousing cheer after bad-mouthing JFK Jr., then encouraging people to steal money from banks. Okay, there's a little bit more here I could go on about uh, <laughs> Robert Sterling, but let's just get him on the uh, show here. Let's uh, bring him up. Robert Sterling, welcome to the show. Yeah, I was kind of getting embarrassed. That was too congratulatory. <laughs> so it's uh, great hearing from you, Robert. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, got your, your bio today, and yeah, I didn't have time to kind of condense it down. And so, But yeah, I, I like uh, bragging about uh, cool people that I know. So uh, good stuff. I'm glad you're doing all that. We uh, met uh, many years ago, and actually... Um, Let's see, the last time you and I talked on the air, uh, Bush had uh, just stolen his uh, first election. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so somewhere, yeah, about 2000, I think it was, and you had some interesting comments about that. And so you wrote the book in, uh, I think it was 2004, what was it, 50 Reasons? Uh, Not to vote for Bush. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, actually the majority of voters took your advice in 2004 and uh, didn't vote for him, but... There's that pesky problem of getting your votes counted. Exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, however, I think that the book has been pretty well vindicated almost as much as Jose Canseco has over his claims of steroids. So, you know, it's something that didn't, didn't, uh, didn't uh, you know, pass the muster in terms of getting enough votes to avoid this, the theft. But now I think pretty much people know what's going on at least with Bush. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that uh, 2004, you came out with that book? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you went into Barnes & Noble, you'd see it on, uh, because they had all these books out there every time if you go to any of the bookstores. There was, a, there was an absolute uh, Bush hate fest at most uh, bookstores at the time. Yeah, I remember uh, going into the political section and seeing, like, you know, 50 different titles that were anti-Bush things and, uh, you know, maybe about five or ten pro-Bush uh, titles uh, by uh, certain neocon goofballs. But, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. But it, it's like it didn't quite wake up enough people to avoid the theft, as you said. But uh, let's uh, get into what's been going on in more recent years since uh, W uh, illegitimately came into office and this idea of people seeming to conveniently die when they had dirt on him or his cronies and. Uh, I've been compiling this list, which seems to be growing, and I shared it with you because I knew you would uh, have uh, some insights about this. And, uh, yeah, let, let's go over some of these names. And, uh, you know, in no particular order, uh, let's talk about David Kelly. He right. was the, uh, the British uh, biowarfare scientist who uh, 
knew some truths about the, the falsity of the WMD rationale for the Iraq war and supposedly committed suicide, but that was all dubious. What, what do you know about that story? Yeah, well, basically he knew that uh, uh, the whole claim for, uh, I think it was the, uh, the whole uranium thing, he knew it was a bunch of crap, and he basically said so, and, uh, uh, you know, it was basically ignored his his information, and then he came forward, uh, you know, I think in, what, 2006, 2007, somewhere around there, and uh, soon after he was supposedly committed suicide. He was the Iraq arms inspector, actually. That's, that's what I, he was, and he was a scientist, so he knew that the whole thing was totally exaggerated because he had been, he was basically the uh, uh, UK's version of uh, uh, Valerie Plain, you know, uh, not Valerie Plain, uh, her husband. Yeah, uh, Joseph Wilson, yeah. Yeah, Joseph Wilson. I'm having a little mind blank there. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, there was these weird quotes from David Kelly, This is which was kind of disturbing before uh, he was killed, shortly before. He mentioned these dark players that he had been seen around him. You know, there was a term he used, I think, was dark players. And then he also said something like, uh, don't be surprised if you find me dead in the woods. It, remember all these things? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, sort of like he was already being threatened. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that, that's something I, I don't recall if there was any quotes from him saying... Um, you know, if I die, if I don't believe it sort of a thing. I don't recall seeing that, but clearly I, I did recall he was a guy. It was 2003 he died, by the way. And, yeah, yeah go on. No, no it, so, no, there was the one quote where he, he didn't say, oh, uh, they're going to suicide me, the, the verb that Mike Malloy and others like to use, uh, but he said... Uh, just something to the effect, uh, don't be surprised if you find me dead in the woods. But, you know, that could be construed as like, oh, I'm feeling really depressed. I might kill myself. It could be construed that way, but I think probably not. People, uh, you know, don't usually broadcast that, oh, I'm going to kill myself. So, but it was, it was all very mysterious and very weird. And it was, uh, this guy had the the means to embarrass a lot of people, actually to put a lot of people in criminal uh, jeopardy, uh, legal hot water. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it, and the whole neocon movement, the Bush-Cheney regime, and, and as well as the British government, and to make it very clear that they completely lied about the reasons for going to wars, definitely on the WMD front. And, we'll, and on other fronts as well, which other people died for that. We'll get into that. But let's also talk about Bruce Ivins, who was the second guy that they tried to pin the anthrax attacks on, the anthrax attacks here in the U.S., which occurred shortly after 9-11. Right. He, was, he was the second guy they tried to pin that on. Before he could really defend himself against these dubious charges, he had the good sportsmanship to take his own life. Yeah, and... Uh you know, it's still, uh, I don't think it's ever actually been proven that he did it, or uh, I, I don't know if the mainstream media has basically presumed it. I, I think they've kind of just left it as a question mark that his, his death kind of um, uh, closed the door on a uh, thorough investigation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
needless to say, the whole story has kind of died because of because of his death. And uh, you know, in his case, I don't know if uh, he was murdered or if he quote unquote, you know, if he actually really committed suicide. But you know, in some ways, this is a case of someone where. Uh, you know, even if he did commit suicide, it was basically drove to it by making him out to be this mass murderer. Right. You know, that's the whole thing. And a lot of this is not we can outright murder you or uh, and make it look like a suicide or we can make your life so effing miserable and make you into such a pariah that you will not want to live. So we actually we drive you to suicide. And and he is a, a, an example of maybe where that happened. There's also James uh Hatfield and uh, uh, Gary Webb. We can go into them later, but you oh, know, yeah, yeah it, they may have actually committed suicide, but their lives were so effed up that no wonder they would have committed suicide. So, um, you know, but the thing is, you're so right about that. It stopped all inquiry into the anthrax attacks. It's like, oh, we found the guy. Let's, you know, we, oh, he's gone now. Close the door. And maybe he did have something to do with it, but. There's, I don't think he could have possibly done it by himself if he did it at all. And if you look at all the evidence, I think you, you'd come to that conclusion. But so if anybody else was involved now, nobody wants to look at it. The, the, the meme that is now out there is, oh, this guy did it. He felt really bad. He killed himself. Okay, end of story. And, you know, why did it take eight years? To, to seven, eight years to figure out who did this, if he even was the one who did it, that is questionable. And so nobody's, but nobody's asking those questions anymore in the mainstream media. It's yeah. a closed book. L let's talk about another person who supposedly committed suicide. This is kind of a little bit more juicy. Um, yeah, Deborah Jean Palfrey, the D.C. madam who was supplying prostitutes for all kinds of D.C. players, uh, uh, rumor has it that Dick Cheney was in her little black book of customers. And after she was charged and this whole hit the news, but just weeks before her death, Alex Jones asked her flat out on his show, you're not planning on committing suicide, are you? I just want to get that on the record. And she said no. And then uh, you know, a few weeks later, she reportedly did. Um, what, what do you know about that, Robert? Well, I know that she was also uh, very close to Larry Flynn and Hustler, and he was definitely uh, trying to trying to defend her as pretty much the scapegoat that uh, you know that the well, well. First of all, I'm not a I don't personally care about prostitution myself, but if what was going on was so terrible, why is it this DC madam who's getting all uh, prosecuted while? The uh, the players, the actual guys who were hiring her her services out of her uh, prostitutes, how come they weren't being revealed? And the big evidence was that apparently one of the people was Dick Cheney. Now, one of the problems is she didn't actually know for sure who they were because she'd only speak to them on the phone and have their phone numbers. But she did have the phone numbers, and it would have been rather easy to find out. Uh, you know, if that phone number was in fact Dick Cheney's, it would have been a pretty huge, uh, huge uh, sex scandal to say the least. And the general general assumption is that uh, uh, that I have and others have is that yeah, he was on the list. Uh, David Vitter, I think, was the guy who was outed on the list. It was kind of like they had to get somebody so people would uh, you know think that some something had been revealed juicy. You can't just have the story and not do any investigation. But, 
you know, the bigger, juicier name was more than likely Dick Cheney. And more than likely that has everything to do with her uh, death. Yeah, and it, it is just interesting that uh, uh, <laughs> Alex Jones uh, had, had the foresight to, to think that she was in danger and to ask her that question. And, and like he and Mike Malloy and some other people I know, they, they use, a, uh, you know, suicided as, as a, a verb. Uh, <laughs> this is how we take care of people. We're going to suicide them. And uh, so, yeah, interesting story. But, yeah, what all died with her? What all uh, evidence? It, it's fascinating to speculate on. And, and uh, even if she did kill herself, again, was it a case that she was driven to that? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. She, she didn't seem that like she, she wanted to go down. She seemed well, like she wanted to fight this. And then, yeah, let me butt in and just point out something logically. Uh, being a madam, getting prosecuted and being found guilty is kind of something that's kind of in the background. And obviously nobody wants to go to jail, but it wouldn't have been so shocking. And she could have easily appealed this. This thing was not over by any stretch of the imagination. So... Uh, it wasn't it really like her life was like completely ruined because of this. She might have ended up doing a few years kind of thing, right? Yeah, or maybe... Uh, Maybe even not even uh, have to go to jail, go to a halfway house or something like that. I mean, the whole the whole thing was kind of a, a smoke over nothing. And, you know, I, the one thing I will mention is uh, one of the people that she did speak to uh, before she died was uh, uh, a writer for The Nation magazine. Um, gosh, what is his name? Um, David Korn? Yeah, David Korn. And... You know, David Korn, for whatever it is, he's really just, even though he's part of the, uh, the quote-unquote left, he's, you know, and anything which is very controversial, like the, any ideas that 911 was an inside job, um, I'm trying to think of some other things. Election that, fraud. Yeah, election fraud. He basically comes in and poo-poo's any speculation, and he's kind of almost... Uh, Someone like me, I view him as the CIA's man in the left. And, you know, that he had so much interest in this case uh, is certainly curious because, you know, he's certainly a guy who to me looks kind of like a vacuum cleaner, a guy who, who comes in, tries to get information from people that, uh, that the, you know, the intelligence network wants to know more about. And, uh, you know, I, I remember after she actually uh, died, uh, he was interviewed in one of the stories, and he basically was uh, saying stuff that was pretty much, you know, almost contradicting what Anna, uh, what uh, Larry Flint and Alex Jones were saying, you know, that he uh, basically made it sound like, yeah, she seemed a little depressed and everything like that. So Yeah, that's interesting what you say about David Korn, because I've noticed uh, the Nation magazine in general, which, you know, they have a lot of good stuff in there, expose a lot of things, but at the same time, they will not touch anything that even remotely has anything to do with 911 was an inside job and less to poo-poo it, or anything to do with election fraud. And people on the left who are well-respected, like Mark Crispin Miller, they won't run his stuff. They'll just try to debunk his uh, election fraud stuff. So, yeah, the Nation magazine, I do wonder about them sometimes, if they not don't serve some kind of purpose to kind of keep things in check. But, um, yeah, so interesting you mentioned that yeah. about corn. 
I have his quotes, actually. He said, I met her once, and it was not in a sordid fashion as a reporter, and I kept asking her, you know, if you had any famous high-profile clients, and she said, well, not really. A lot of people wouldn't recognize these people anyway. And what he isn't revealing is, is that a lot of the people she didn't know for sure what, who they were. You know, so right there he was being deceptive. And then he uh, basically did not question that Paul Free had taken her own life and did not think there was uh, any conspiracy. He said, you hate to say this about anybody, but Jean's death won't have any consequence to Washington. She's not taking any secrets with her. She seemed to not have them in the first place. Hmm. Yeah, so. that's, uh, but uh, other people were saying things quite to the contrary. Oh, yeah. In fact, she was saying it uh, herself in her interview with Alex Jones. Uh, you know, Larry Flynn obviously had a big interest in her case and uh, a lot of sex scandals. You know, because sex scandals really are what uh, usually brings people down uh, because then, then it can be taken away from the bigger picture and it just turns to a personal issue. And that's a way that names could, could be uh, discredited and it didn't happen. Because she died. Well, yeah, and so this brings us to something else. By the way, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. I'm Robert Larson. Uh, with me today is Robert Sterling, and he is uh, a longtime parapolitical researcher and uh, the editor of the online magazine The Conformist and the author of 50 Reasons Not to Vote for Bush. And so, yeah, this thing about uh, sex scandals and prostitution, this brings us to another case of not somebody who was actually physically knocked off, of somebody who was actually killed, but but a sex scandal really pulled the reins in on this person who had some explosive information, and I'm speaking about Elliot Spitzer. Uh, yeah, what do you want to say about that, Robert? Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was in March, actually, of uh, last year. He and, and I actually thought it was so significant when I saw his article that I, I highlighted, even though before that point it wasn't really well noted. Uh, he basically said, hey, that this whole entire uh, subprime uh, mortgage uh, scandal, the, it really is the creation of the uh, Treasury Department. There's a, a special office inside the uh, Treasury Department that um, changed the rules and allowed uh, uh, subprime mortgages to become legitimate, and they hadn't been legitimate before. And not only that, they basically did this ruling about, you know, uh, interstate commerce being uh, regulated by uh, federal government, not the states, that they basically were blocking the uh, uh, usage of anti-usury laws in states to uh, uh, block this stuff. And uh, in fact, the, uh, I believe both the governors and definitely the attorney generals of all 50 states opposed this. They, they all signed a petition saying this is outrageous. And they went through it anyways, and this is what created the, the subprime uh, scan scandal because it was basically sanctioned in an unprecedented move by the uh, Bush team. And, uh, you know, actually there was a recent quote from Elliot Spitzer that's kind of not gotten the credit it, it deserves. The one thing that he ha did say that some people have noticed and even this isn't that big, uh, hasn't received the, the notice it deserves, is he basically has declared that the Federal Reserve is a Ponzi scheme and an inside job. That he, Basically what he's pointing out is, you know, they've funneled $12 trillion, actually it's $14 trillion I see now, um, 
the uh, Federal Reserve to all these banks that uh, have been swindling people with the uh, – and I guess the uh, interesting thing is the people who are on the Federal Reserve banks are the same people in these banks receiving these trillions of dollars. So, uh, you know, you look at that, yeah, that is a, basically a Ponzi scheme and that they're ripping off the public and giving the money to the guys who basically have used predatory loans to, to uh, basically bankrupt our society. And the other important thing about this is that what he did say that really nobody is noticing is he said that Obama's regulatory reforms on the financial sector are irrelevant because regulation, regulatory agencies have not been enforcing corporate laws to begin with. And he said, regulatory agencies already had the power to do everything they needed to do. They just affirmatively chose not to do it. And that's significant because all this talk about deregulation or the attempt to uh, link this to uh, Bill Clinton uh, uh, signing that uh, bill in late 2000, I, I forget the one that basically, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal is trying to link the whole subprime mortgage crisis to him. Right. It's bogus. It has nothing to do with uh, uh, any of the deregulations because the laws were still there. But the Bush administration basically closed their eyes, or not even closed their eyes, they basically said, go ahead, do it. And I have found little evidence that Barack Obama and his Justice Department has tried to do anything different on this matter. Yeah, and, and that's uh, kind of troubling. But, yeah, so this is the thing with Spitzer is that he very clearly la laid this out, that this, there was a very specific action taken by the Bush administration, this one thing where they took some archaic banking regulation and just pulled it out of, you know, over 100 years ago to, to allow this to happen. And, uh, as you said, the, the subprime uh, crisis, and it was a very specific thing that was done, and, and you could point this directly back to the Bush administration. They did this. This specific act caused it, and uh, Spitzer wrote this, and it was an editorial in, uh, where was that, the New York Times, the Washington, Washington Post. He wrote that, and then it was like, what, a week later that he was outed? Yes. Uh, it was very close to that. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it happened February 18th, his article in the uh, in the uh, in that and it was uh, in early March where he basically had his uh, problems. So yeah, less. You're right. It's actually less than two weeks. And so he he resigns, which was a little weird because David Vitter and other people caught in sex scandals didn't resign, but he felt that he had to. So maybe something else was being held over his head. I do not know. But uh, the thing is, is that you know he goes down and then nobody wants to talk about this and it's uh you also said that there was something um well well it's very interesting because there to this day no criminal charges have been brought against spitzer correct All right and, and but you also tied in the john edwards sex scandal and you were saying there was something that edwards was on to as well that was a well, reason that maybe he was brought down well all i can say is uh if you told me that there was going to be some sort of wall street economic scandal at the start of 2008, before the end of the year. And he asked me, uh, an economic scandal involving Wall Street and the exploitation of the poor, what two politicians would have had the most to say about it? Without thinking, I would have said Elliot Spitzer and John Edwards. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very 
interesting that those are the two guys who are brought down by sex scandals. Now, I'm not excusing uh, uh, what they did. Certainly uh, in the Edwards case in particular, uh, cheating on your wife while she's uh, suffering from cancer is not the most sympathy-inducing thing in the world. But, uh, you know, having said that, um, you know, uh, the fact is, is the reason these guys uh, did this is because they're perverts, because pretty much all men are perverts. And, you know, it's not that hard to find, a, you know, the guys who uh, want to cheat on their wives, and these guys have a lot of money, a lot of power, and the ability to get uh, attractive women. So more than likely, most politicians do cheat on their wives, and so it's a very easy way to, to get rid of somebody if they become inconvenient. Yeah, it's sort of like we the the little you know old boys network. Okay, we know we're all doing this, and it's just like, but if we need to hold it over you someday, uh, maybe we will. And uh, so it's uh, yeah. But Edwards, I don't know. I mean, there was some talk that he could have maybe been appointed to attorney general or something, and yeah. uh, and that you know I I was a person who thought that would be an interesting idea that he would really go after these uh, Wall Street people and the uh, corporate uh, clowns, the corporate uh, uh, criminals and all of that, because so, that's what he's made a career of doing. So once the sex scandal came, there's no way that Obama uh, would appoint him to attorney general or anything else. So he's kind of out of the picture. So very interesting. Two guys that, that didn't uh, actually die but had their careers kind of brought down. Be, uh, you know, possibly because of the threat they pose to certain interests in this country. Uh, let's let's go move in a little bit more sinister direction here, back to the deaths. Um, and a, a person I want to talk about is um, Michael Connell, and I don't know how much you know about him, but we've uh, talked about him a couple times on the show, and he was um, a GOP IT guru guy, you know, real uh, uh, brilliant guy with computers and all of that, and he was mm -hmm. responsible for Carl Rove's special email system and for numerous GOP uh, websites, and was involved with the Ohio 2004 election weirdness, where Ohio's votes got routed to a server in another state, and then came back and coughed up the implausible result. Uh, he, was, uh, he was subpoenaed to testify in an election uh, integrity lawsuit and claims that Rove threatened him about testifying. And then uh, Connell decided he wasn't going to be a fall guy and was going to tell the truth under oath. He was preparing to do that. Lo and behold, he died in a small plane crash before he could do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I heard that, I just got that feeling like, yep, uh, this is how they do it in uh, Mexico, you know? Yeah, and actually I do have that, uh, I did actually have that on my uh, website, conformist.com, conformist with a K. That's a little uh, cheap, easy plug there by myself. Um, so, I, you know, I actually even do remember that he, um, hearing his story, because basically, is he the guy who, uh, no, he's, he's not the guy who uh, was asked to basically recreate the, um, create a fake, uh, Oh, to get the virus that could basically rig, uh, rig voting machines. Oh, no, that was Clint Curtis, and we, we can well, go okay, into that. Hang on a minute. Okay. I do see the quote from him that he said that he would, uh, uh, he was afraid that uh, Bush and Cheney was about to throw him on the, 
under the bus. Right. And he basically was going to uh, disclose everything because he thought he was being set up as a fall guy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do recall this uh, thing. I got, I got an email about it, and uh, it certainly is one of the more curious cases that happened in December of last year. Right. So he... Uh Cliff Arnbeck and a couple other attorneys, I had Cliff on the show, they, they, are, uh, they have this thing called the Rove Cybergate campaign, and they're trying to, to bring Rove and all these guys down, and they say they have evidence that, you know, they were involved in rigging the 2000 election, the 2004 election, the 2002 midterms, the 2006 midterms, and all that funny stuff that happened, and that, that we know how they did it, and Michael Connell and some of these other people were involved in it, and so they, you know, they got Connell, they, they subpoenaed him, and during that time, uh, you know, Connell said, this, there's a quote from him saying that he was, he and his wife were threatened by Rove, and, uh, you know, there, and then here he, he dies so conveniently. It's very convenient for Carl Rove and W and Cheney and all the rest of the gang. Don't you think so? Yeah, and that brings up another plane crash, even though uh, we should probably stick to the, uh, the voting one, is, of course, the famous death of uh, Paul Wellstone, the senator, who also died in a plane crash. And, in fact, there was heavy uh, talks between him and Dick Cheney uh, before he uh, died, and... Uh, the real controversy was about him uh, voting against uh, the uh, war in Iraq. And he was one of the, the guys who uh, stood by his principle. And the interesting thing is he actually uh, was benefiting from it because uh, his race was fairly close until then. And then he was pulling away because he was in the middle of a re-election campaign against Norm Coleman. And, you know, it wasn't just... Uh, um, uh, Dick Cheney, who was apparently interested in uh, Paul Wellstone, because Paul Wellstone, um, you know, that year, the, his opponent, Norm Coleman, the only senator, GOP senator, who raised more money than Coleman was Elizabeth Dole, who's a, you know, a fairly big name, the former wife of, of a uh, presidential candidate, Bob Dole, Senate Majority Leader. Mm -hmm. So Norm Coleman was not on this level. So that all this money was being funneled to Coleman shows that the uh, the right wing had a hard-on to destroy uh, uh, Paul Wellstone any way they could. And something that actually isn't really noticed much is that in 2000, while the uh, uh, voting scandal happened, he went to Columbia uh, on a fact-finding mission, uh, Paul Wellstone, and he almost was killed by a, a bombing that was done by actually left-wing, uh, supposed left-wing uh, uh, terrorists that were battling the government there. Uh, interesting. I did not know that. But, yeah, it's it's very obvious why the, the neocon right would be opposed to Wellstone. I mean, he's one of the things that they fear most, a... A liberal with backbone, a liberal with yeah. principles, you know, somebody that actually will stand up for what he believes and actually took an early stance against the war and, uh, you know, was able, as you said, to turn it into political uh, uh, value and was actually pulling ahead because of that principled stand, showing that that could be done and that, you know, we're not going to be run by fear. And, uh, yeah, so he, this uh, also, what was his... On the Patriot Act, did he did he vote against that as well? Uh, you know what? Unfortunately, uh, he voted for it. Okay. I, I know that because only one person voted against it in the entire Senate. 
Yeah, uh, that was, uh, what's his name, uh, in Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I guess he wasn't totally principled or he misunderstood it or something. But uh, anyway, but the thing is, there were also rumors that Wellstone was considering running for president, which uh, I think would frighten uh, people on the right. Yeah, you know, you told me that in some ways that would uh, just as much frighten, uh, you know, at least the Democratic Party in the sense that, you know, Wellstone was a guy of principle. He, he had balls. He could have turned out to be, uh, I mean, I don't think he would have won, even though I certainly would have supported him. But he could have turned out to be like the uh, happy cannon of the left, the guy who's uh, so principled and so committed to what he believes in that he basically forces the whole entire party to, uh, you know, acknowledge the stances he's taking and modify their positions to appease him, you know. And uh, it definitely could have happened, and it didn't because, you know, of his death. Yeah, yeah. So just, again, very, very convenient to a certain uh, small uh, politically powerful group. And, uh, let, yeah, let's stay on the subject of uh, small plane crashes, which seems to be a common way that these sorts of uh, people die. And uh, this uh, brings me to uh, Salim bin Laden. Yeah, he's yeah. an in interesting character because by, uh, even though it can't be officially acknowledged because, uh, because uh, nobody knows exactly uh, how he got the money, but George uh, W. Bush got money from an investor, and uh, his really only main source of funds was Salim bin Laden, who was the brother of Osama bin Laden. And this is what uh, got uh, George W. Bush into the oil business and then into the Texas Rangers. And basically, uh, the reason George W. Bush became a... Uh, millionaire was due to the brother of bin Laden if what seems pretty evident to me is true that he was the uh, financier of, uh, of Bush and that shows you know obviously very curious connections um, I've kind of looked into that I don't know how you what you think but my general feeling about bin Laden why he died in his plane crash is he apparently had a lot of ties to the BCCI bank the the uh, um, the scandal bank of the late 80s, early 90s, mm, yeah. that uh, had all these ties to the CIA. And, and even though how it was usually presented in the press was that it was the bank for uh, the Middle East, and it certainly was true there was a lot of Middle Easterners, um, it was really, you know, a CIA bank, a uh, mob bank, and, and things like that. And they put a, a, a Muslim, you know, Arab face on it because that would, uh, you know, make people feel a little less, a little more comfortable about uh, condemning it than just ignoring the whole thing. But, you know, it was just as much a American establishment bank as it was a Middle East bank. And he basically had the goods on somebody, I'm pretty sure, and he was just plain crashed. And, uh, you know, obviously I don't buy it. And that's, I think, the, the, the interesting thing is almost always when you see somebody get murdered, quote, suicided, uh, car accident or, or plane crash, what you find out is that they usually have the goods on somebody. You know, that, uh, you know, like someone like you or me, I would doubt we would ever, at least in this stage, what we know, uh, nothing's going to happen to us. But once we get uh, the goods on somebody, that's when we become a target. And, and you know, I, I hope you don't mind me bringing this one up uh, because I know you probably want to stick on this one, is... Um, 
I don't know for a fact that it's the same guy, but like even something as relatively harmless sounding as the uh, Joan Benet Ramsey case, um, the National Enquirer actually broke this story that uh, John Ramsey was a uh, um, basically had this fixation on tranny porn, and soon after that, uh, a uh, National Enquirer uh, journalist who was working on the case was found uh, dead in that area. He was, it wasn't a suicide, but they just said that he was found dead. And uh, I, I don't even know if they ever said what he died of. But, uh, you know, I have to assume he was the same guy who wrote the tranny porn story. And I, I would have to assume this guy was starting to find out some of the real shady dealings that was going on with uh, Access Graphics. And was was Ramsey somehow uh, connected with uh, you know uh, the Bush crime family or other powerful uh, well, entities? Yeah, well, here's the thing: uh, Access Graphics, the company that he ran, was actually uh, uh, a company that was actually owned by another company. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Uh, do you know who owned Access Graphics? No. Lockheed. Oh. And uh, Axis Graphics uh, um, was rumored in another tabloid, and it was, you know, sometimes stories that are uh, true are put in uh, the tabloids to discredit them, so they, they almost don't, you know, oh, that was in some tabloid, but it was a fascinating story, and that's when I started getting interested in it, is that the claim was that Axis Graphics was into, you know, kitty porn, mm. and... Uh, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's almost like they're saying it with their name, Access Graphics. Yeah. And yeah. so the question, the bigger question is, you know, if that was true, well, why would a uh, Lockheed Front Company be involved in kitty porn? And to me, the answer seems to be things like blackmail and uh, other dirty projects like that. And uh, I would imagine that somehow, uh, like the journalist for the National Choir, who's already... Uh, looking at this most more sleazy aspects of the story had pretty much come up with uh, the proof that, yeah, that's what, what these guys were doing. This was a kitty porn front. And, uh, well, that, that, that makes me think of, you know, it, there may be certain shadowy entities that have that stuff available to use to sort of pin on people sometime, because if you remember... When uh, Scott Ritter was making a bunch of noise about that, you know, there are no WMDs and no reason to go to war with Iraq, uh, that there started, these rumors started coming out that he was a pedophile. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I kind of do recall that, actually. You know, nothing, it was just BS rumors, no charges, ever, anything against him, but it seems like that's something they'll try to pin on people to, to discredit them. It's a tool that's used. Uh, it seems to be. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Robert Sterling. Um, he is with the uh, theconformist.com. That's conformist with a K, right? Conformist with a K, yeah. And that's uh, uh, a site dedicated to uh, conspiracy research, uh, parapolitical research, uh, getting behind the things, uh, pulling things out from the false reality rabbit hole kind of thing. And... Uh, you know, bringing people uh, to, uh, bringing their attention to some other things they might not get from the mainstream media. Robert is also the author of the book, 50 Reasons Not to Vote for Bush. Yeah, is that the title on that? 
You got it. Yeah. And, um, okay, so we're running out of time here, so I just maybe want to, like, throw out a few names real quick, and we can maybe pick this up on another show. But, uh, you know, we were talking about the vote rigging, and, and you, you had mentioned another guy, and that was Clint Curtis, who was actually asked to create a vote rigging software when he worked for Yang Enterprises, a guy who was investigating this, all of this corruption, and about Tom Feeney, the former Republican congressman who had actually, according to Curtis, asked for this program. Uh, Ray Lemmy was investigating all of this, said he had some explosive information, was about to release it. They find him dead in a motel room. So uh, Ray Lemmy, R-A-Y... L-E-M-M-E, so yeah. any of you all want to Google that and find out what's going on there. It's really scary stuff. But again, exposing things about the Bush crime family. Recently, uh, a, a guy, Ibn al-Sheikh Alibi, who was uh, tortured by the Egyptians at the behest of U.S. intelligence, he, he made up the crap about Saddam training al-Qaeda operatives in chemical and biological weapons, you know, the, the same crap that Powell uh, infamously used in his U.N. speech. Well, you know, when it looked like uh, Alibi was going to become, you know, super inconvenient as this poster child for the uh, folly of tortured confessions, he was found hanging in a, a Libyan jail. So there's that one. Uh, Kenneth yeah. Lay died very conveniently for a lot of people. Uh, Jake Clifford Baxter, Enron executive. Yeah. Uh, any others you want to bring up, Robert? Well, we yeah, Jake Clifford Baxter is very interesting because he... Uh, he uh, was, of course, an executive who had the goods and pro it looked like he could benefit by squealing. And then suddenly he commits suicide. And what a lot of people don't notice is that, uh, like, two months later, there was a similar executive for El Paso Energy who was also involved in the uh, uh, county scandals in their own right and also had their own deal with the uh, California uh, electricity scandal. He did the same thing. He committed suicide, even though both of these guys would have benefited if they squealed. So, you know, that's something right there. You also mentioned Pat Tillman, which I thought was very interesting because, you know, I don't know the whole story on that one. The, the former NFL star who joined the military, and then he died originally of friendly fire. Yeah. And then they find out, well, no, they said he was died in combat, and then it turned out it was friendly fire. And I don't know all the facts, but my gut instincts say Pat Tillman seemed like a real honest, decent guy of integrity. My guess is he found out something uh, that was going on, and he was going to blow the whistle. And he's probably the kind of guy who would say to you, I'm going to uh, blow the whistle on this. And he was probably, my, my hunch is somebody gave an order for him to be knocked off. That would be my hunch. Don't have any proof to back it up yet, but that's, my instincts. Yeah, you know, I have that sort of same uh, suspicion on that. I mean, I had heard something that he was uh, he was uh, already actually opposed to the war, even the war there in Afghanistan. Yeah. And uh, he had found out that we weren't doing what we were advertising we were doing. And, yeah, a guy of integrity didn't want to go along with it. But, yeah, and I've got to, you know, we mentioned James Hatfield, the guy that wrote the Bush biography, Fortunate Son. He, yeah. he seemed to be driven to suicide. Yeah, uh, he was... Uh, suckered into uh basically there was like one false thing that was put in the book that was basically put in there by uh, uh carl rove where rove gave him false information and he used it and that discredited the whole book and this book that he thought he was going to make you know thousands of, hundreds of thousands of dollars on basically ended up being destroyed it was 
made a republish of the smaller publisher, but never got the you know the proper uh, uh, publicity. He lost lots of money, lost lots of credibility. Uh, I would guess that Hatfield did commit suicide, but this is a case where he might as well have been murdered anyways. Well, it was like he was driven to it, and yeah. and what happened to him is very similar to what seems to have happened to uh, uh, the big uh, Dan Rather, uh, who was given a little false bit of information inside Absolutely. of all this good information, and therefore discredited the whole thing, or supposedly did. So, hey, we could go on and on about this, but Robert, we're out of time. You want, you want to come on the show again, and we'll go over some of the names we didn't even get to today? I would love to. In fact, I'll try to see if I can get some Thursday off soon so I can do that, because this has been lots of fun. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, give out any contact information you want to give out right now. Uh, conformist.com, conformist with a K, uh, is my website. Uh, you can also go to my uh, the, the Newswire blog, which is Robolini dot blogspot dot com that's r-o-b-a-l-i-n-i dot blogspot dot com and uh you know uh you'll have a fun time and uh you could stay on there for hours and you know not all of it is uh uh too frightening it's a com you know combination of humor and horror and i think uh <laughs> i've got the right uh right mixture of my secret formula yeah, that's Robert Sterling, all right. Combination of humor and horror. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, man. Hey, thanks a lot for being here, uh, Robert. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk again soon, okay? It's a date, bud. Thank you very <laughs> okay. much, man. All right, take care. All, all right. right, yeah, Robert Sterling, uh, conformist with a con conformist with a K, conformist.com. And so, yeah, that'll about have to do it here. Out the rabbit hole. Uh, Kyle's going to be up in about three minutes with his great music show, Things That Are Square. And I'll have interesting stuff next week for you. We're going to try to get Clint Curtis on the show. We mentioned him. He has said he wants to be on the show. We just haven't set a date yet. So uh, we'll get him on the show as well. And just keep following up on all of this stuff that you're not getting from the mainstream media. And remember, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, you can email me at rglarson at kuci.org. And let's see, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at kuci.org. Going to leave you with some music from Mojo Nixon, Robert Larson saying I'll be talking to you next week.